0: We've been in the book of Philippians, uh, and, and we just had this little drop-off, right? After we finished Acts, we just jumped into Philippians for just such a time as this, so to speak. And we've been in the book of Philippians, which is in your New Testament, and I would encourage you if you have a Bible with you to turn to Philippians. It's right after Galatians and Ephesians and before Colossians. You come to Philippians toward the back of your Bible. And uh, we just jumped right into the end of the book of Philippians about two or three weeks ago. And we started looking at some of the details of Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to be back in Philippians chapter 4 today, but one of the things that you miss when you do it this way is you don't get a sense of the theme of the whole book. We just dive right into chapter 4. So let me give you an idea of what sort of the themes are in the book of Philippians. Because the first thing is, if you ask any Bible scholar and say just right off the top of your head, what is the overarching theme of the book of Philippians, any Bible scholar will tell you the same thing, joy. Joy. The book is about joy beginning to end. It's just filled with teachings on joy, and we've been talking about joy. But, but the, the, the first mention of joy in Philippians is in chapter 1, verse 4 in the greeting. He starts right off by saying, I'm going to tell you about joy. And in fact, the other theme that is uh, strong in Philippians is peace. We talked about that last week. The first mention of peace in the book of Philippians is in chapter 1, verse 2. And, and the, maybe the third theme that we keep running into in Philippians is a the theme of thankfulness. And the first mention of thankfulness is in chapter 1, verse 3. So in the first four verses of Philippians, we get this picture of what Paul is saying. Hey, God wants to talk to you about something, and it's really important, so listen up. And throughout the book of Philippians, Paul, who, by the way, is writing from a Roman prison, who, by the way, is chained up, who, by the way, cannot leave, who, by the way, has a threat to his life hanging over his head, is writing this book about joy. And he just keeps beating this drum again. Joy, peace, thankfulness. Joy, peace, thankfulness. To where we come to the end of the book in chapter 4. And in chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, he begins to really put the bow on the whole thing because in chapter 4, he ties it all together by showing us how to live a life of contentment. It's what Paul calls the secret of contentment. He says, I have learned the secret of contentment, and then we get to chapter 4, verse 12, and and join me there, and let me just read you a couple of verses here from Philippians 4, beginning in verse 12. He says this, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I know many of you have heard that verse before, chapter, chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And people love that verse, and we love to say, boy, I can win the race, I can win the game, I can get this promotion, I can, I can, I can. But the interesting thing is, if you're reading this in the book of Philippians, it's not about what you can do at all, it's about what he can do, amen? It's not, it's not about what I can do. It's not about getting a victory in some goal that I have set. It's about being able to live in any circumstances. He says, I know what it is to go hungry, and I'm still content. I know what it is to be well fed, and I'm still content. I know what it is to be in the palaces of a king, and I'm still content. I know what it is to be in the dungeon of a prison, and I'm still content. I've learned a secret. secret that somehow gets me past a place where my circumstances control my life. It gets to a place where I can be content in any and every circumstance. So what is the big secret? Well, he already gave us a glimpse of this and we talked about this the last two weeks. In the early verses of this chapter, he talks about what happens when we have difficulty and he says you have to have prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving and you need to... Make your request known to God. Those things are essential to a life of contentment. You show me a prayerless life, and I will show you a life that struggles to be content. Prayer, thanksgiving, crying out to God, realizing that He is your source of hope when there is no other source of hope. Those things are essential to a life of contentment, but there's more to it than that. If you really want to live a joy-filled life of contentment, the secret is found between your ears, Paul says. It all comes down to your thoughts. Let me just ask you a question for you to mull over a little bit. When times are tough, when you're going through it, I mean really going through it, and times are tough... What's on your mind? What do you find yourself thinking about all the time when you're going through trials, when things are tough, when you're disappointed, when you're hurt, when you're bewildered, when you're abandoned, when you're betrayed? What's going on in your mind as you go through your life when you're going through a time like that? Do you find your thoughts running again and again and again to what's going on in your circumstances? I do. And if those negative circumstances get all of your attention, you are going to continue a downward spiral that is not going to change. When, when you, Think about it this way. When you are so anxious, and maybe, maybe this doesn't apply to you, but applies to most of us, I guess. When you're so anxious that you can't sleep, and you're lying in bed and dealing with this anxiety-filled moment... What are you lying in bed thinking about? Are you lying in bed, wide awake, unable to sleep, thinking about how wonderful your day was? Are you lying in bed full of anxiety, heart beating, sweat on your brow, unable to sleep, thinking about all of the good blessings that God has given to you? Is that what you're thinking about? Or are you thinking about the what ifs? and the if-onlys, and the why-me's. As you lay there, your sleep stolen from you, your peace stolen from you, your joy nowhere to be found, lying there just dealing with the anxiety of your circumstances, what do you find your mind going to? Now, you may be the exception You may be the rare person in the room who would say, oh, it's really easy for me. I never have anxiety-filled moments. I never have times when I feel negative. I never get caught up in my circumstances. If that's you, raise your hand so we can all condemn you for lying. (laughs) So I'm guessing I'm not the only one that can relate to this. You go through stuff in life. Jesus said, when he said to his disciples, I will give you peace, the very next statement was, in this world you will have trouble. Don't get this idea that somehow having peace is the absence of having trouble. Jesus says it is possible to live in a broken world as a broken person surrounded by other broken people dealing with the mess that comes from all of that and still have peace. And that's what we've been sort of digging at these last few weeks. In fact, we're gonna take it even a step further today. As you go through your day, as you go through your life day by day, what is it that mostly gets your mind's attention? I'm just thinking about a regular day. As you go through your day, What are the voices you're listening to? What are the thoughts that are crashing in through your ears and into your mind? Um, Is it the voices that you hear? The things that people have to say? It's amazing, isn't it? How much power the words of another person can have. The old saying, sticks and stones can break my bones but names will never hurt me is a lie. Or, or think about just the news media. Everyone groans, the news media. If you find yourself a little to the left of center, when I say news media, you're thinking, yeah, Fox. If you find yourself a little to the right of center and I say news media, you're thinking, everything but Fox, (laughs) right, so it's like, we all have our views, right? And don't, don't lean over and tell your neighbor your views. We could do that another time. Um, or, or better yet, let's not. But, but the point is, I don't care if you're way to the left or way to the right politically. You are disgusted by the, by the um, perversion of the news that is now available to us through general news media. Everyone I know feels the same way. But then again, thank God, we're not stuck with the network news because we have the infallible internet. (laughs) Thank God for the internet. We finally can get all the true information in a completely unbiased way on the internet. We got politicians telling us what they think we want to hear in order to buy our votes. The pundits are babbling on the talking heads or, or, How about the music you listen to? I I know I'm going from preaching to meddling here, but I am astonished sometimes when I'm listening to my favorite music stations, and I'm singing along with songs I've known since 1972, and I hear the lyrics come out of my mouth and go, oh! Why is it I know the words to every song the Beatles ever sang, but I can't memorize John 3.16? What is up with that? But, but think about the music that you listen to, and I don't, unless you're listening to just instrumental music. If you're listening to lyrics, there are ideas that are being drilled into your brain because that's the power of music. What are you listening to? What movies are you watching? What TV shows are you watching? I know there are only wonderful people on reality TV shows, people you would want to emulate your life after a teacher children to look up to, but what are you watching? What, or just just walk down the street and notice the coarse language that we hear just as a normal matter of fact these days that we didn't used to hear. It's amazing how much negative, derogatory, hurtful, shameful garbage comes in through our ears and our eyes and that filters right through our mind and into our hearts. And we think it's no big deal. Well, Paul says, that if you want to live a life that is truly content, you're going to actually have to make some choices about your thinking. I heard somebody once say the best way to live a life of contentment is to control your stinking thinking. I think there's something to be said for that. Look at, back in uh, Philippians chapter 4, go back to verse 8, and let's pick this up in Philippians 4, 8. Here's what he says. Finally, brethren, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything is worthy of praise, dwell on these things, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, don't get me wrong, don't head off down a rabbit trail. This is not a sermon about the amazing magical power of positive thinking. If ever you've bought into somebody teaching you that you know, you can really control your life and control your circumstances by just saying only positive things and thinking only positive thoughts, and you're supposed to get up in the morning and look in the mirror and go, you're the best, you're the most beautiful, you're the smartest, and you're just supposed to repeat all these positive mantras all day long. If you've ever tried that approach to life, you know it's exhausting and it gets you nowhere because it doesn't change anything. I am not talking about pretending about anything. I'm talking about choosing what you let your mind dwell on. In fact, the world has twisted this teaching and boiled it down to just thinking happy thoughts as some sort of magical way. If I just whistle a happy tune, then all the scary things will go away. It's not true. The truth is, though, God has designed us as human beings in such a way that letting our mind dwell on things that are good and right and true and honorable and so forth is the gateway to a life of peace, joy, and contentment. I don't know what your thoughts are about this. I I don't know all of you. I don't know who's watching online. I don't know when, five years from now, somebody's going to jump on YouTube and, and watch this sermon again. And I don't know where any of you are. But I could tell you this if you believe that the world is only material, you don't understand. There is a spiritual reality to life, my friends. And most of you are here because you believe that, or at least you're open to the possibility of that, or you're thinking about that. But I want you to understand that um, the truth is, there's spiritual warfare going on. Satan is every bit as real as God is. He's not a a foe of God. He's not competition to God. God is all powerful, and the only power that Satan has was given to him by God, who, by the way, created him. But you have to understand the truth of the matter is there's a spiritual battle going on. And, and people are fascinated with the spiritual realm. I mean, just at any given time, just go uh, on a, a website. Remember, remember, if you're old, you remember you used to have to call a number. And listen to what was playing at the movie theater. Remember that? You have to actually have a pencil and write it down. It's amazing. I don't know how we got through that era. It takes 15 minutes just to dial. Da-da-da, and by then the movie's over. I don't know how we did that, but but if you go now onto some app and go, hey, what's playing in the theaters? I promise you, you will find at least 20% of the movies that are playing in the theaters are dealing with spiritual darkness directly it's it's something about Murder, or it's something about ghosts, or it's something about demons, or it's something we're fascinated with this stuff. Why does Hollywood keep making these movies? Because we keep buying the tickets because we're fascinated with it. Christians and non Christians alike, people are fascinated with the idea of spiritual warfare. There are tons of best selling books on the topic. You can go into any uh, bookstore if you're lucky enough to find a bookstore. Go into any bookstore, and there's a whole section of books that are on spiritual um, issues such as the occult and demons and all of that kind of whole section of that. There are seminars being taught both in churches and in secular organizations about this issue. There are sermons that are getting preached on this. What does the Bible actually say though? We, we get so caught up in the hocus pocus and the spooky stuff that sometimes I think we forget to realize the Bible actually addresses how Satan attacks us and what we're supposed to do about that attack. So take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to 2 Corinthians. If you're in Philippians, it's about 15 pages to your left. Don't count the pages, you'll be disappointed. But something like that. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3, Paul describes it this way. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Now let's stop there and let me just take a second and and paint this for you. You see, um, it, it, it has always been true that whichever army can kill their opponent from the furthest distance away, wins. So when you had to fight with axes hand to hand, that was one thing. And then some dude invented the bow and arrow, changed everything. I could shoot you from 100 yards away, that's a plus. And then some guy came up with gunpowder. And he was like, yeah, I could get behind a rock with a scope and shoot you from a half a block away. And now it has progressed and progressed, and we have missiles and airplanes and aircraft carriers, and we have drones that fly in and bomb. There's a guy in Newark sitting in his mom's basement doing this, and he's blowing up a, a site in the Middle East. Warfare is changing. What if you knew you were going to be in a war, so you got a, a strong army, the best guns and tanks and grenades and rocket launchers and missiles that you could get and you prepared for war only to find that the enemy had already attacked you with germ warfare and that a terrible deadly disease had been dropped over every major city in our country. We might be very well trained with our weaponry and we'd be dead anyways. And what Paul is trying to say to them is, you have this idea of of, of fighting a war and you think it's about swords and shields and and armies. It's not actually about that at all. The weapons of our warfare, he says, are not fleshly. They're not of the flesh. They're spiritual weapons. And so he gets into it. Look at verse five. Here's, Here's what these spiritual weapons can do. We are destroying speculations And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Feeling under attack? Think the enemy wants to trip you up? You're finding it hard to pursue God with all of your heart? You're finding it hard to find contentment when the world is flashing so many beautiful things in front of your eyes and saying, look at me, look at me, look at me? It's hard. He says, listen, if we could destroy those speculations or or some of your translations might say imaginations. The concept of a speculation or imagination is any idea that is not founded on the truth. Paul says we have weapons that destroy false ideas. That's good. And then he says, and any lofty thing that was raised up against the knowledge of God, anything any idea, lofty thing, a philosophy, a strategy, uh, a belief system, a religious system, any lofty thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of the one true God, he says, there's actually weapons that will destroy that. He goes, if you want to win the spiritual war, here's how you do it. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Control Your thoughts. Decide where your mind will dwell, he says, and you win the war. Because my friends, the battleground for spiritual warfare is in the human mind. It's a battle of truth and falsehood. Satan is trying to distract you, deceive you, and discourage you. Man, that'll preach. I should have put that in your notes. Distract, deceive discourage. Very good. I am going to remember that. <laughs> if he's trying to distract, deceive, and discourage, no wonder he's aiming at your mind. That's what he's interested in getting control of. And so uh, I don't, I, I want to be careful how I'm perceived here. I, I'm not trying to create conspiracy theories. I'm not trying to say, oh, this is all Satan doing this, this, and this. Here's what I want to say. We live in a society where our educational system in general is not designed to help you know God, but in fact could be a great hindrance to your efforts to know God. And and while I say that, let me just say hallelujah for Christian teachers in public schools. I am so glad for teachers and administrators who are saying we're going to love kids like Jesus does. We're going to teach truth. We're going to, we're going to do all of that. But let's not kid ourselves and, and believe that, that our educational system is designed to raise up godly people. It just ain't. Our entertainment is not aimed at helping you walk more closely with Jesus. I was flipping channels last night. I probably shouldn't tell you this. The stuff I tell you, I'm surprised I don't get fired. I'm flipping channels. And I came across the 2021 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. And I'm like, yes, I got to watch this. Turn it up. Christy's like, hello, can you turn that down? No, we're turning it up. And I'm watching and I'm like, oh my gosh. Every speech I heard almost was angry, hate-filled, derogatory, profanity-laden. I was just like, oh. And then I listened to the words of the songs and once again, I'm like, oh, I'm so convicted. Our entertainment system is not designed to help you walk with God. We already talked about the so-called news. Social media See, Satan chips away at our hearts by attacking our minds. And we open the door. We pay for the streaming service. We click on the sites. But God says, if you want to be content, thankful, joy-filled, peaceful, then you had better decide what goes into your mind. Now listen, guys, I am not telling you, I just sat here and told you that I was flipping through my 7,000 stations and watched the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame last night. I am not telling you it is a sin to have television. I'm not telling you stay out of those theaters because after all, if you're in the movie theater and Jesus comes back, you miss the end of the movie, right? So I'm not telling you that. I'm not saying, you know, never listen to any secular music, only, only you know, uh, hymns in your car. I, listen, I, I'm not saying that, but, but can't we just be a little more discerning? Can't can we just be a little more careful? Couldn't we just notice that the things that are coming into our minds do impact us? When our eldest daughter was just a couple years old, Uh, we had a church preschool and uh, we thought, well, wouldn't this be good for her social development and we will put her in the preschool just a couple of days a week. It's our church, our church's preschool. I'm the boss of the place. Okay, let's do that. We send our daughter to preschool and within one week, we saw attitudes in her we had never seen before. We heard things coming out of our mouths. We said, where in the world did she learn that? And Christy was sure it was from me. <laughs> just just being in, a, in an atmosphere where your thoughts are impacted by whomever, teachers, peers, television, whatever, it, it changes you. So let me read again Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. Maybe some of your translations say, let your mind dwell on these things. Probably the most uh, specific English translation of that Greek phrase is, ponder these things, mull it over. Grapple with it in your mind. Spend time thinking about it. Thinking about what? Whatever's good, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good reputation. Let your mind dwell on these things. It sort of implies, doesn't it, that you have a choice about what your mind dwells on. You don't always have a choice about everything that enters your mind. Satan is a tempter. And there's going to be temptations at the thought level all day long. You don't have a choice about that. But you do have a choice over what you do with those things. Where do you let your mind dwell? I know we all want more joy. I know we all would love more peace, more contentment. But some of us are sabotaging ourselves by choosing to let our minds dwell on things that are not lovely, not good, not pure, and so forth. Remember, God's not telling us to pretend everything is all right, whistle a happy tune, and just think happy thoughts all the time. That's why he tells us to pray, to supplicate, to beg, to cry out, and let our requests be made known to God. First Peter puts it this way, cast all your cares upon God, for he cares for you. God tells us to do that. This is not a pretending idea. But let me ask you something. Who is a better in a better position to handle what has got you anxious? You or God? So talk to God about what's bothering you. But then trust him to handle it. Talk to God about what's bothering you but then leave it with him. And begin to turn your mind, your heart, your attention, your focus to that which is good, that which is honorable, that which is right. Turn your mind to those things that that are true, it says. What are some things that are true? How about this? God loves you no matter what your circumstances make you believe. How about this? God is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all you could ask or even think according to the power that dwells within us. How about this? God is faithful. He keeps every promise he's ever made. How about this? God understands what's going on in your life even when you don't. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. And one last one. Cherry on top. God never changes. He can't. Even if he wanted to, which he doesn't. He can't change. Part of his nature as God is that he is unchangeable. That means he doesn't change his opinion. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change, he doesn't learn anything because he already knows everything. God does not change. So when we say, well, I know he was good in the past, but will he be good next time? Yes, he's good. It's who he is. And I just think Thanksgiving week is a perfect time to address these issues. So let me give you some practical advice as you go into Thanksgiving. Practical things to do. This is the point in which you can turn me off and go, I never do the things he suggests. Or you can write these down and go, yeah, these are things I'm gonna plug in. I'm gonna give you just two things. Number one, make a list of things you're thankful for. Like make an actual list. And if you're, if you're doing it on your iPad or your phone or, or get a tablet and just, and just dedicate a page and just start on line one, start writing the things you're thankful for. Just one after another after another. When you've got about 25, take a break. Come back the next day and say, okay, I've got to add to this 25. Read through your list of 25, add five more. Come back the next day and add five more. And every day when you add to this list, thank God for these things actually attribute them to God. You may go, oh, okay, what am I thankful for? Gee, I put a lot of stuff on my list already. What am I, I'm thankful, for? I guess I'm thankful for breath. Good, write it down, because who gave it to you? God, so let's give him the glory for it. Once we get our eyes and our minds and our hearts turned back to all of the amazing good things God is doing, the scripture says in James, every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's not gonna change. He's gonna keep on giving good gifts. So start a list and just go back and revisit it. Every time you find yourself getting down in the dumps, every time you find yourself getting anxious, every time you find yourself getting fearful, take out your list and start looking at all the amazing things that God is doing for you every day and give him thanks. That's number one. Number two, you're going to have to be intentional about thinking about the good things because the bad stuff's coming. You're gonna to have to be intentional. So let me just give you some ideas. Some of them will work for some of you, others will not. But how about this? Get in the pattern, get in the habit of deciding that your first thoughts in the morning are gonna to go toward God. Okay, not your second thoughts. Your first thought is, oh my God, I hate this alarm. After that, <laughs> then you thank God for the alarm. <laughs> And then you begin to just focus your attention. Wouldn't it just be great if before your feet hit the floor every day, the Lord heard your voice of praise? Just to thank him. Just get your mind on that. It's a great thing to let that be the first thing in the morning and the last thing at night. As your head hits the pillow, let the praises of God be on your lips. Get focused on that. And, and you know what? Some of us need reminders throughout the day. One of the things I've done over the years is I have uh, put sticky notes on my dashboard, Help me remind me of the things I'm trying to get my mind focused on. Um, I'll put them on the bathroom mirror, um, but I try to spend as little time looking in that as possible, so that doesn't always help me, but find a prominent place. Oh, the refrigerator door. (laughs) Someplace you go a lot put little reminders. Might be a verse you're memorizing, might be a thought for the day. Um, And how about this? Talk about good things with other people. Isn't it amazing how easy it is to slip into gossip, complaining, and, and grumbling? But what if you just made it your mission? I'm going to brighten every conversation I'm in by talking about good things. My friend Chuck is amazing at this. He, he, he brightens my day every time I talk with him because it could be like, wow, there's meteors falling from the sky. Look out. And he'll be like, well, um, you know, um, meteors are used to make uh, coal and that helps us to have energy. Isn't God good? <laughs> and, and Chuck, I'm so thankful for that. Um, I hope you're you're working on becoming a person like that. Um, And then you have to limit the negative input, right? That might mean there are some friends you need to spend less time with, I don't know. It it might mean, um, you know, 12 hours a day might be a touch much for social media. You might have to turn off the music. What if, you, what if you turned off the music when you're driving alone in your car just once a week and devoted that time to prayer and thinking about God? Um, you, you might have to turn off the news. One of the cool things is there's great sermons available online all the time now. You can hear the word of God. You can even, you don't even have to pay for it. You just get an app and and someone will read you scripture like James Earl Jones or somebody like that. That was a really good impression, wasn't it? (laughs) I look a lot like him too. But anyway, um, let's not forget, I'm gonna wrap this. Let's not forget, God makes promises to people who will live like that. Here's the promise and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds. And here's that phrase again, in Christ Jesus. So are you in Christ Jesus? Live like that, and you too will discover what Paul discovered, the greatest secret of all, the secret of contentment. And you'll be able to say with Paul, I can do all things, through him who strengthens me. Let's pray together. Father, we want to say thank you. And this Thanksgiving week where we set aside time as a culture to even stop and say, oh, there's a lot to be thankful for, isn't there? God, forgive us for not being thankful 24-7. Help us to change in that way. We want to say thank you, God. You're, you really are the one who gives us breath. You really are the one who gives us life. You really are the one who meets all of our needs. You even give us the power to work hard and gain wealth. Everything that we have that is good comes from you, and we want to say thank you. Lord, help us, because I know the enemy is not going to lighten his attacks. And so we ask you, God, protect us. Help us. Set set guards on our brains. Help us to stay focused on you, that which is good, that which is true, that which is pure, that which is of good reputation. Lord, let us dwell on those things and give us your peace. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.